Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode I'm going to be recapping the entirety of week 2 of the NFL. A lot of teams are looking a little bit disappointed and might be having to hit the panic button. Other teams look like they're catching their strides and might be getting something special this season. There's a lot of winners this week, there's a lot of losers. I'm here to talk about it all. I'm also going to cover fantasy football. As always, there will be timestamps located down below. I'm going to cover waiver wire ads this week. I'm also going to be covering winners from this week as far as specific players, coaches, uh, teams, and then I'll be talking some losers this week. So I'm not going to be doing the same format as I did last week. I'm not going to be covering each and every single game. I think it's just a little bit much and not too necessary. So without further ado, let's get into all of it. Alright, so first and foremost, we're going to be covering everything you need to know for fantasy football this week that has to do with waiver wire ads, as well as I'm also going to go over some buy low candidates, some guys that you should be trading for before they inevitably blow up and go crazy one of these weeks because you can guarantee that these guys will. These are mostly guys with very high ADPs and you can take advantage of that by going and getting them now before they have that breakout week because again, it's coming for all of these guys. So first and foremost, let's address waiver wire ads. I think the first waiver wire ad is one that is still largely unowned in most leagues because a gruesome injury happened this weekend on Monday Night Football. And it's Nick Chubb, as sad as it is to see it. Nick Chubb with a terrible, terrible knee injury. I don't want to jump to any conclusions here. You know, there's been talks on social media of could this possibly be career ending? You know, may he ever walk again? I really don't want to jump to any of these conclusions just purely out of respect to him and his character because he seems like an amazing human being. He really was the heartbeat of this offense pretty much since he got there in Cleveland. So wishing Nick Chubb a very speedy recovery. Um, obviously, it was a terrible injury. He's come back from injury before. The severity of this one was just brutal just absolutely different and again prayers up for him wishing him a speedy recovery and it was just truly awful to see what happened there but unfortunately it's part of the game injuries happen it's a very violent sport you never want to see it happen but with all that being said jerome ford is being placed in an amazing opportunity in this cleveland browns offense and he's going to be the lead back i wouldn't be surprised if they do end up bringing kareem hunt back on a one-year deal he has visited with the team recently he still remains unsigned still is a free agent and again they need depth beyond jerome ford so don't be surprised if kareem hunt comes in and takes some touches away from him but as of right now he is not on the team so i think jerome ford is an absolute must-have at running back i think he should pretty much be everyone's number one priority because as of right now he is the go-to guy and in the limited action that he did see um, once Nick Chubb was injured in that game, he did look very effective along the ground. Again, we know how punishing this ground game can be for the Cleveland Browns. They have a very good run blocking offensive line, just a good offensive line in general, but especially run blocking wise, they are very good. So I think Jerome Ford should be the number one waiver wire ad for most people this week, especially just given the opportunity he is going to have with Nick Chubb's injury. Again, wishing Nick the best. Two more guys that more than likely these guys are probably rostered already, but if they're not, Go get Kyron Williams and go get Tutu Atwell. This Rams offense is a lot better than I was giving it credit for before the season started. Uh, I think a lot of people were not expecting this team to be anywhere near as good as they've looked for the past two weeks. Excuse me. Um, and Kyron Williams and Tutu Atwell. Obviously, once Cooper cut back, Tutu Atwell's stock is, will take a hit and he will be 
put into that number three receiver role instead of the number two receiver. But I mean, as far as efficiency of the offense, it is undeniable how good they have been the past couple of weeks, at least compared to where expectations were. Of course, you know, last week they were playing one of the best defenses in the league and yet they still found ways to be effective Kyron Williams with two touchdowns along the ground he's a great receiving back as well so there's upside there Tutu Atwell did his thing and of course Puka Nakua who I'm not mentioning this in this podcast because frankly he's more than likely already owned in your league if he's not then absolutely go pick him up but if Kyron Williams and Tutu Atwell are still available go take both of those guys because the opportunity is there this offense is much better than I originally anticipated sorry if you can hear that car I'm gonna say this now I'm gonna hold on let me pause this really quick yeah I'm gonna get this out of the way now I've moved uh, uh, places I'm no longer at my old studio I'm in my new apartment in Isla Vista school's about to start up and one of my windows is fucking broken in this place so if you guys hear cars or people talking hopefully it's not too bad because it's not the window directly next to my desk but my roommate's desk <laughs> that window's broken so hopefully it's not too loud either way let's get back to waiver wire ads Kyron Williams Tutu Atwell both of those guys need to be on your roster another guy worth mentioning that I don't know how much I'm going to invest in him because again but I'll get that out in a second Zach Moss is the guy that I want to talk about for the Indianapolis Colts he looked really really good in his action that he got in week two he played every single snap except one I don't expect that to be the case going forward I I mean that just doesn't seem sustainable but for this very small sample size that we're dealing with that is like a fantasy wet dream that sounded fucking weird fantasy wet dream made it just sound like a wet dream period but fantasy football wet dream there we go um either way i mean zach moss giving that opportunity that he was given he made the most of it he looked very efficient all on the ground and from the limited action that we've seen from some of these other guys such as evan hall who hole who is dealing with some injuries and Dion jackson even when they were available those guys were very inefficient along the ground zach moss proved that he was the most efficient out of all those guys and this is a dude that coming out of college he was known as more of a power runner the colts have a very good offensive line to run that kind of scheme and it fits his play style so going forward especially you know the the longer and longer that this jonathan taylor situation goes on you really do think that zach moss is going to be the lead back here and again even if his role is decreased and he doesn't see every single snap besides one again um you still expect it to be a really good role. Even if he's getting 70% of the snaps, this offensive line is greatly improved. They're much healthier than they were last year. And honestly, even though Anthony Richardson might vulture some touchdowns away from him on the goal line, I would say overall having a running quarterback does kind of help your running game in totality. Yes, he is going to steal some opportunities there, but I mean, as a whole, it just adds an extra layer for the defense to, you know, respect you need to put an extra guy on the edge to defend Anthony. And those read option plays, you know, it's not always going to be Anthony taking off with it. Sometimes, you know, the edge is going to play a little bit further out to respect Anthony and his 4-4 speed, as they should, because, you know, he is one of the most dynamic athletes, not just on this team, but straight up in the entire league. Yes, I said it, he is. Just look at the combine numbers. Like, I don't think that's a crazy take to say. And so Zach Moss is going to be reaping the benefits of that. And again, as long as Jonathan Taylor is not on this roster, Zach Moss seems like he is going to be the guy. Again, especially given how inefficient some of those other guys were when they saw the touches. Zach Moss comes in, gets the touches, makes the most of it. So until I see something different, Zach Moss could be a decent waiver wire ad for you. Again, I'm still prioritizing Jerome Ford. I'm still prioritizing Kyron Williams. 
Up next, Tank Dell and Nico Collins. I'm pairing these guys together because it kind of just depends on what flavor of receiver you like. Uh, Tank Dell was someone that I was kind of pounding the table for to get more snaps this week. He ended up getting more snaps. It happened, and he led his team in targets. I think him and Nico actually had the same amount. They both had 10 targets, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I should have looked that up really quick. I have notes on like everyone else, but not these two guys for some reason. Either way, um, I believe they were tied for the league, uh, team lead in targets. And this is a team that two weeks in a row has basically completely ditched the run because they found themselves in holes and having to come back. And CJ Stroud is honestly kind of impressing me in the fact that he's not making the most wow plays, but he's being smart with the ball. He's not turning it over, hasn't thrown a pick yet in fucking almost the 100 pass attempts or whatever it is that he's had so far. So... You know, this is a team that it's not a shocker to say this team is not very good. Houston's not a competitive team. They're going to be playing catch up in a lot of these games. Tank Dell and Nico Collins are going to be the beneficiaries of that. They're going to be catching a lot of balls. They're going to be getting targeted a lot. And this is, at least for right now, um, this is pretty clearly the number one and the number two on this team, basically in no particular order, 1A, 1B, however you want to put it. But Tank Dell, you know, someone they invested draft capital in this year, and Nico Collins, someone who was getting hyped towards the end of last year. I would, if you're, you know, a little thin at wide receiver, I would definitely consider both of these guys. Another one is Jaden Reed coming from the Green Bay Packers. Wide receiver, another rookie actually. Rookie wide receiver out of Michigan State. They've used him in a lot of really creative ways. They've used him on jet sweeps. They've used him as a receiver. He's gotten work on third downs. It's very clear that he is the wide receiver three in this offense. Um, maybe the snap share doesn't fully show that yet, but I think his role will only grow. I really think it's going to be Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and then Jaden Reed in that order of how the targets are spread around. Obviously, Christian Watson has been out, so there's an argument to say like, oh, Christian's going to come back and steal some of the targets. But I really think they like Jaden Reed in that more of a weapon role, and he is still a good receiver. Overall, this offense is just pretty good behind Jordan Love. And I think he is at the benefit of Aaron Jones being out. And Aaron Jones will come back. But it's this kind of the same argument I was making for Cooper Cup. And um, yeah, just with Cooper Cup, where once the, even though Jones might come back and steal some of those touches, especially near the goal line, it's just going to make the whole offense better. It's going to be a more balanced offense once Aaron Jones is back. A.J. Dillon's a pretty inefficient runner. He doesn't have that breakaway type speed that Aaron Jones has. And so as a whole, this offense is going to get better. They're going to be in the red zone more often. Jaden Reed, a guy that they've already proven to like to use in the red zone. And yes, a lot of his points are coming from touchdowns. So you can maybe say there will be some touchdown regression there. But overall, again, it's not like you're absolutely prioritizing these guys. I would still take 2-2 Tank Dell, Nico Collins over him. But I'm not going to hate you if you're going to argue me, argue with me to say Jaden Reed is a better pickup right now than Tank Dell and Nico Collins. That's not that crazy to say. And again, I think he is the wide receiver three in this offense that is still pretty good. And there's definitely an argument to be made there for Jaden Reed. Just keep your eye on him. Two more guys I want to mention before I get on to the buy low candidates are Hunter Henry and Zach Ertz. Um, these guys have seen insane volume over the past two weeks. Zach Ertz, back-to-back -back weeks with 10-plus targets, if I'm not mistaken. Let me make sure I'm right about that. Um, let me check that really quick <laughs> before I go any further because I just realized I didn't have notes on this guy either. 
But either way, the volume is absolutely there. And it does help that the Cardinals are another one of those teams that they're going to be down on a lot of these games. They're going to be playing catch-up. That's when you're going to be throwing the ball a hell of a lot. Yeah, six catches in back-to-back weeks, 10 targets. Um, is that 10 targets in each one of these weeks? Why does it not say his targets on NFL.com? What's what's up with that, NFL? Pro football reference, are you going to tell me how many targets you had? Huh? Hmm? Sorry, guys. This is super unprofessional of me. Um, I was lying. He didn't have 10 targets. He only had eight targets this week. But hey, 10 targets and then eight targets, that's pretty damn good. And again, the, the efficiency is there. Six catches and back-to-back weeks. And with how much of a crapshoot the tight end position tends to be, I'll take six targets because I spent some significant draft capital on George Kittle and that dude has done next to nothing for me. Hunter Henry, same type of way. We know how much New England loves their tight ends in this offense. They've always been an offense that prioritizes a good tight end over a wide receiver. Well, maybe not always, but it seems to be the case <laughs> pretty much year in and year out. And Hunter Henry, even though Mike Kosicki is there, he is the guy. There's a reason why they got rid of Jonu and they weren't comfortable getting rid of Hunter Henry. So, I mean, he's got 13 targets already this season. He had uh, seven last week against Miami. And again, with how much of a crapshoot the tight end position are, and these guys are not owned in a majority of leagues, they're definitely guys worth adding to your roster spot if you are having troubles with the tight end position. Um, Even if you do have a guy like George Kittle, and you're never really going to bench him, George Kittle's a guy who is injury prone. Having a backup like a Hunter Henry or a Zacharis, if you need them to fill in for him, is not a bad option by any means. So let's talk about three by low candidates I have for you guys before I get into the biggest winners of week two. First, I just said his name a ton of times because it was kind of a transition into it, George Kittle. If you have George Kittle on your team, do not panic, do not trade him away. Stay calm. It's His week is bound to happen sooner or later where he gets a good amount of points and Again, it's kind of the same argument where it's like there's so many good weapons in this offense. There's so many different ways that the ball can go that it might scare you away from getting someone like a George Kittle. But the talent is just too good. And yes, he has been inline blocking a lot more than usual. Christian McCaffrey's been getting a ton of work. But George Kittle was one of the main beneficiaries when Brock Purdy came in last year. He really had a great last half of the season. And, you know projecting out in the long term it's just it's one of those things where he's bound to regress to the mean one of these weeks he's gonna have a great week i it could even be this week against the giants on thursday night football go by low for george kittle he's gonna have a good week one of these weeks it's the exact same argument for jamar chase and this one's even more so because i think you can get jamar really really cheap right now because you can talk that guy into oh joe burrows re-aggravated his calf injury you know jamar has been struggling even before that calf injury re-aggravated and now it's re-aggravated and i really think you can use that as a bargaining chip when you're trying to go get him because this is a long-term play. This is not going to help you in the short term. Um, if your team has already won a couple games and you have a little bit of room to spare, go get yourself a Jamar Chase because the Bengals tend to do this thing where late into the season they make a late-round push. I'm not going to count on the Bengals or Jamar Chase. It just feels like a dumb thing to do. And Jamar Chase is a very, very dynamic receiver in this league. He is bound to bounce back, and I think we're really going to see his best football come November, come December, when you have playoffs and championships on the line for your fantasy football teams. So I think Jamar Chase is definitely a really go, good buy low candidate. And again, the calf injury, you can make the opposite argument for that and say, like, what if it never gets better? And what if we never see that Joe Burrow that we've seen from the past couple of years? 
I really do think he's going to be okay by the end of the year. And the Bengals know, especially now being 0-2, possibly going on to 0-3 with this Joe Burrow injury. They know that they're going to have to make up ground later in the year. Jamar Chase is going to be one of those guys that's going to be the beneficiary of that. And finally, I have A.J. Brown. Pretty much the same argument for Jamar Chase, except there's no injury to a quarterback, so there's no bargaining token there. But the argument is he's an extremely talented receiver. He's in a really damn good offense. And eventually, he's going to boom. That's really the whole argument about it. He's had two pretty bad weeks in a row. Uh, he was taken in the first round or you know early second in a lot of fantasy drafts. So go take advantage of that. Go you know grab a hold of him because his stock is only going to be going up for the rest of the year. I'm going to cut this segment out right here, and I'm going to pick back up with the biggest winners of week two. All right, so the biggest winners of week two, I really do think we have to start with Sam Towell. I was Sam Howell, Sam Towell, (laughs) Sam Howell of the Washington Commanders, maybe the most impressive week by any quarterback this weekend. I mean, he really shut me up. I was not a big Sam Howell guy coming into the season. I think I was really sleeping on him. Uh, I know that he had a decent end to the season for the Commanders last year, but I really just wanted to see more before I bought into it. This was what I needed to see from him. He played amazing in this game. Genuinely, he did play amazing. He was under crazy pressure early and even later on into the game. He faced some moments where He just stood in there. He knew he was going to take a shot, and he delivered on it. For example, that that Terry McLaurin touchdown was a fucking laser. That was an amazing throw, amazing catch, amazing play. Trusting his guy, putting it up top where only he can go and get it. Terry McLaurin doing what Terry McLaurin does, coming down with it. And just overall, to be able to come back from down 18 going into the third quarter just a really really impressive feat and i know that their defense had a lot to do with that they most certainly played their part in that but for sam howell to take advantage of the opportunities when they were there and to stick with it after working through that all that adversity of being down 18 early getting sacked a lot earlier in this game and just hanging in there and making plays i was super and super impressed with sam howell he has to be Probably the biggest winner of week two, in my opinion. His 87.5 adjusting completion rate via PFF is just stupid, silly numbers for a second-year guy. Especially, you know, not only a second-year guy, but a second-year guy with this little experience. I was really impressed from what I saw there. 7.7 yards per attempt is a really great number as well. 108.8 passer rating. So he did a lot of really good things for this team. I was really impressed from what I saw from Sam Howell. Daniel Jones is another really big winner, in my opinion hell of a second half and he needed it badly the fact that they were even down this much to the cardinals is not good at all if you're a giants fan i think you're just you know i don't think you're happy with this win oh we got a fire alarm going off i'm gonna pause this really quick okay that was fucking weird the fire alarm was kind of going off for no damn reason what i was trying to say is i think if you're a giants fan you're not that excited about this win i think you're just lucky you got away with one but on the bright side because we're gonna we're gonna look at the bright side here daniel jones had a hell of a second half and again he needed it badly he was coming off an ass whooping to a division rival at home i said in my preview episode that the giants need to go into arizona and not just win but put on a clinic they didn't put on a clinic per se but the second half they, they truly did it was really impressive what they were able to do to go into the second half down 20 and play nearly flawless obviously they need their defense to step it up. That's not a surprise at all. Um, they got virtually no pressure, especially from the edge position. Dexter Lawrence did his thing, but outside of him, 
you got virtually nothing from this defensive line. But Daniel Jones, let's get back to the point. He was seven, 17 for 21, 259 yards. Also carried the ball seven times for 44, all in the second half. Shout out to Jalen Hyatt, rookie, making a really, really great play on the first play of the second half. Getting the 58-yard bomb really put the Giants in good position and kind of just kick-started the entire offense, if you will. Um, but again, the rest of the Giants have a lot of work to do, especially their defense, but their D-line MIA in this game. But overall, Daniel Jones had a really, really good second half. I think question uh, silenced a lot of the questions um, about him being overpaid and you know, just being able to address that, especially, you know, they didn't score their first points of the season or their first touchdown of the season until six quarters into their season. And they still found a way to win. That is, even though, again, as a Giants fan, maybe you're not too proud of this win. Hey, at least you made it out of there and you can say Daniel Jones did everything he could and then some to win this one for you guys. So Daniel Jones had himself a hell of a week and one of the biggest winners from week two. Another quarterback with another amazing game was Geno Smith. Again, similar to Sam Howell and Daniel Jones, this was, excuse me, an absolute statement game for Geno Smith. I think it, there is something to say about the Rams are better than we thought, so we can't overreact too much to week one because I think it was one of those cases where it's like, okay, what's going on here? Is Geno Smith regressing? Are the Seahawks you know, not as good as they were last year? Are the Rams a lot better than we thought? Frankly, maybe it's a little bit of both still, but to go into Detroit and win the way that they did, super, super impressive. And they'll win the turnover battle the way they did. They didn't have any turnovers in this one. They not only had the pick six on Jared Goff, which was kind of just, I don't know, that, that was just unfortunate for Jared Goff. It looked like an option route, and he just read the option wrong. The receiver went one way. He thought he was going to go another, hit him in the back of the hand, and then ended up being returned for six. Goff had an incredible game in this one as well for himself. Outside of that one play, that was really like the only mistake. But again, that wasn't entirely his fault. I think the receiver has to be blamed a little bit there too. They just read the field two different ways, and it was obvious that they were out of sync and on different pages. But again, Geno Smith and the Seahawks coming off a really weird week one. And to go into Detroit with all the Detroit that, with all the Detroit, with all the hype that Detroit has, it really was a very impressive win and a really, really good way to silence any doubters, proving that last year was not a fluke. Geno is still here. He is still one of the 10 best or 12 best, however you want to put him and categorize him, quarterbacks in the league. But you got to give credit to the Seahawks offensive line as well. They made a statement in this one as well. They were missing two of their starters. Didn't seem to matter at all. Gino was basically untouched back there. Going 32 for 41 for 328 yards. Two touchdowns, a 116.3 passer rating. I mean, just really, really good numbers overall. And again, just a great W for the Seahawks. They needed this one desperately. Um, just not only to prove to themselves that they still have it and they still are contenders. And again, this is a big win going into... This isn't the old Detroit Lions. This is a really, really good team being at home. You know, they just beat the reigning Super Bowl champions in their building. For the Seahawks to come in, win in overtime in a statement game. And again, Geno playing basically flawlessly outside of that one just absolutely idiotic sack, which put the Lions back in this game and forced the overtime in the first place. The fact that he was able to bounce back in overtime and get it done, really, really got to give him a lot of credit. Obviously, the Seahawks, their winners as a whole because it was a full team effort but geno smith in particular i want to give him a particular shout out because 
He played phenomenal in this game, made the most of the opportunities when they were there, and again, silenced some doubters once again, like he has been since he's became the starter in Seattle in the first place. Up next, biggest winner from this weekend, Bijan Robinson owners. This dude is as good as advertised. I was so high on him coming out of the draft. I mean, seriously, there's nothing this guy couldn't do. Maybe pass block, but who cares? I mean, he is fantastic. Some of the cuts he was making for a dude that size is just rude it's just gross it's just so so impressive what he's able to do and he has the breakaway speed on top of that as well so i was just so impressed from what i saw from him and again as a Bijan robinson owner myself mark my words this dude is going to be considered a top five running back by the end of the year in my opinion he already is but most people just aren't aware of it yet this dude is nothing short of fantastic Bijan robinson is absolutely incredible sorry if there's a little bit of background noise i'll pause really quick my final winner of the week, though, is going to be an entire team. I got to give a shout out to the Buffalo Bills. They made a really, really big statement win over the Las Vegas Raiders coming off of a loss to a division rival in the New York Jets and just a gut-wrenching loss. The fact that Josh Allen just did not play well at all, despite their defense doing a pretty good job in that game for the most part. Um, obviously, there are some misplays in there as well, but Josh Allen having a huge bounce back win in this one, he needed that for morale's sake. I think Bill's Mafia needed it just as a morale booster, you know, to see that they are still contenders. They should still be excited about this team. I don't know if that's entirely true, that they're contenders, I mean, but... The fact is, this is still a really, really competitive football team that can beat any team on any given week. And again, Josh Allen made a statement in this one. It was good to see him be turnover free, didn't have a fumble, didn't have an interception in this one after having three in week one, a 91.4% adjusted completion rate. And the most notable stat for me is his average depth of target went from 8.2 to 4.2. That's key. This, there's times where Josh Allen just tries to play hero. He tries to do too much. He wasn't trying to do too much in this game. He just did what they needed to do to win. And this was, again, just an overall great team win. Josh Allen played fantastic, but he played his role. He did his thing. The offense was being called in a way that was, you know, favorable for him. And he was taking the shots when they were there, but he was also checking it down and being smart with the football. Uh, that's the Josh Allen that's going to be winning. We're not going to, you know... We don't want to see him be taking these long bombs almost every single play uh, because, you know, stuff like the Jets games happen. And he's playing a really good defense in that Jets game. And I get it. The Raiders defense is not nearly as good as the Jets. I understand that. But that's why I want to emphasize that average depth of target stat. He went from 8.2, literally half that to 4.2. Well, not literally, but almost literally put that in half and statistically he had a much more better much more better what the fuck did i just say a much better game excuse me so again really impressive stuff there and then also one more thing i want to mention before i go into the next game or i guess i'm going into my biggest losers after this so one more note on this segment is that james cook ran for 123 yards that is a really, really good sign for the Buffalo Bills. Only on 17 carries, too, I will add, because this is something the Buffalo Bills have been trying to address for literally years now. Literally since Josh Allen has gotten there, this team has had a virtually non-existent run game, and they've had no one solid running back in their backfield. James Cook, although I don't think he is like the traditional workhorse guy, and he never will be, the fact that he ran for 123 is really, really impressive. And again, it's been literally like two calendar years since they've had a 100-yard rusher. 
Devin Singletary did it last year in a game against the Bears. I think it was like week 16 or 14. He left 104 yards on the ground. So barely broke 100 yards and then didn't do it a single time the rest of the season. And then even going back the year before that, I don't think they had a single 100-yard rusher. I could be wrong about that. Maybe Josh Allen did it one time, but outside of Josh, they haven't had one. So for them to run for over 100 yards on the ground shows some more balance in this offense. And again, it's a really big W for this team as a whole. Also worth mentioning, this defense showed up. Matt Milano was absolutely everywhere. But again, just reading some of the numbers, it really does tell how much they dominated this game. They only had one punt all game long. Um, they had 29 first downs compared to the Raiders' 13. They were 7 for 13 on third down. They were 3 for 4 on fourth down. They ran 74 plays to the Raiders' 39. So that's just really telling you how they basically entirely dominated this game. 450 total yards of offense compared to the Raiders, 240. This was just a thorough ass whooping that the Bills really, really needed. So let's get into the biggest losers of week two. Okay, I'm going to try not to be too pessimistic. I'm not going to spend too much time on this section, but... Brandon Staley, you are one of the biggest losers this week. This dude needs to go. I've been saying this for, I feel like I've been saying this for like two years, but Brandon Staley, he has to, when is the blame going to be pointed towards him? Because guess what? It's not going to be pointed towards Herbert. They just paid him. They just locked him up. Herbert is the guy. He will continue to be the guy. But how can this team keep doing this? I might be the biggest Brandon Staley hater on this planet, but I'm going to die on this mound. The dude is not a good coach. He is supposed to be this defensive mind, but he continuously blows leads. I don't fucking get it. He literally blew one of the worst leads in playoff histories last year. Again, this is supposed to be a defensive guru, quote unquote. And every single quarterback dices the secondary up. They finally figured out their run defense. They look a lot better defending the run, but they allow Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill to come back from being down 11 to zero and absolutely dice them up. He threw 20 for 24. Um, his adjusted completion rate was just dumb. Got a ton of long bombs, got two long bombs to trail on Burks. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins did his thing in this one, showing up when they needed him to. Nick Westbrook Akini, Akine, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, played really well in this one, had a couple touchdowns as well. So, I mean, it's just really, really frustrating if you're a Chargers fan. And I think Brandon Staley has to be you can call it scapegoating, but something needs to change, and I think it has to start at the top. I think they need a new head coach. I've been saying this for so long. He shouldn't be there. After that playoff loss, he should be gone. They've done this way too many times. If you're a Chargers fan, you've seen this over and over and over again. It's constant blown leads, even though you have an extremely explosive offense, and your head coach is supposed to be a defensive guru, but he can't stop shit for shit. So it's just... I'm like partially a Chargers fan because... Eckler that's pretty much it and it's just so frustrating to watch I don't understand it I don't get it I just just let him go he's not the answer you've blown way too many leads and they started with the ball in overtime in this one and they blew that so it's just like god at a certain point something needs to change and Brandon Staley is one of the biggest if not the biggest loser this week up next to Jimmy Garoppolo and Josh Jacobs Jimmy he played sharp week one but this one was really really rough I mean again I read the numbers out earlier so I'm not going to spend too much time on this one but he was not looking like the Jimmy Garoppolo we saw in week one who was decisive and led a game-winning drive for his team he was pretty much non-existent in this one and I get it the Bills defense is really good but you know you're replacing Derek Carr, bringing this guy in and paying him equivalent amount of money practically. 
And I just still think it's a downgrade. I still don't know why they made that move. I think if you're a Raiders fan, you have to be extremely frustrated about this performance. And I think you have to be really frustrated and honestly concerned with Josh Jacobs. Your front office is looking smart for not signing him, but this is back-to-back weeks where he hasn't even crossed, I don't think it's even 10 rushing yards. I know he had negative two this game, which I believe is the first time that someone's finished with negative rushing yards for a starting role running back in a very, very long time. Either way, Josh Jacobs not looking good at all in this one. And I get it. The Bills defense is good. That's the argument. But both of these guys' stocks is down. And I just am not a Raiders believer in the slightest this year. And these are the reasons why I am not. (laughs) Up next, the biggest loser is Browns fans, period. Um, Nick Chubb, great dude. Uh, Again, I'm not going to make any assumptions about his injury. I addressed it earlier in this episode. It was absolutely horrendous. And for something like that to happen to a dude that's been the heart and soul of this team for as long as he's been there, it's just absolutely awful. And the season already wasn't going the way you wanted it to as far as how Deshaun Watson has looked. He's looked like the Deshaun Watson we saw last year. We thought that with a full offseason regiment, maybe he could bounce back and look like the Deshaun we saw in Houston. That's not looking to be the case at all. He obviously had a pick six in his first play of the game in this one. Not entirely his fault, because but it was still not a good throw. It was still off the receiver. He had a fumble recovered for a touchdown in this one as well. Just too many mistakes altogether. And yes, Browns fan can say like, oh, there's a PI at the end of the game that wasn't called. It should have never come down to that PI. The fact that you held the Steelers offense to 12 points and you still lost this game is telling enough. And I think the Browns are in for a whole lot of trouble because Deshaun Watson is not looking good at all. And I don't have to remind you guys that you paid him $230 million and you guys guaranteed it. So I really don't see a fixable solution to this problem. And Deshaun Watson is clearly not the answer for the Cleveland Browns. Up next, biggest loser, well, me, I'm the biggest loser. Bears fans were the biggest losers because Justin Fields is a huge fucking loser. This dude is not good. He is just not a franchise quarterback. I've already seen enough in two weeks. Again, I'm salty, so maybe this is a little bit of a reaction, and maybe once he shows me some promise, I'm going to be back on the hopium. But I think I've seen enough. I mean, when you have receivers that are so fucking open, they're getting frustrated, and they're sitting there. If you don't know by now, I'm a huge fan of this channel called The Quarterback School on YouTube. It's run by an amazing dude named Joe T. O'Sullivan. J.T. O'Sullivan. I said his name really weird. He's a really, really smart guy. Knows a whole lot about football. A whole lot more than me. He makes me look dumb about this shit, right? He doesn't like Justin Fields at all. He's been breaking it down the past couple weeks, and he is just fully convincing me that Justin is not the guy. Not on, there's just too many problems. Not only is he inaccurate, and you can you can attribute some of this to coaching um, and the fact that they're not they don't have the best scheme. They're not the most creative, but there are times where they play to his strengths, and it just doesn't work out. And there's reads that they're they're open. There's times where there are good designs and. Yes, some of the blame has to be shifted towards, I almost said Nathaniel Hackett for some reason, towards Luke Getze, our offensive coordinator, but a lot more of that blame has to be shifted towards Fields, and there are many, many plays that are to be had out there, and he just chooses not to to pull the trigger. Whether it's hesitancy or whether it's just straight up he doesn't see it, either way it's a problem, and it really, it feels like it should be fixable because it's like, dude, that's the read, make it. But time after time, after play, after play, after play, we've seen this where he can't read the field quick enough. 
he our O-line is playing pretty damn well. He's getting really good protection for the most part, and he just holds onto the ball for far, far, far too long. He sits back, and he gets to his last step, gets to his first read, it's open, he doesn't pull the trigger. Gets to his next step, second hitch, it's open, doesn't pull the trigger. It's like, what are we doing? It's just, the film is so, so frustrating to watch, and it's so discouraging, because I truly think that Justin Fields is just not the guy and i'm being completely serious when i say this like are we is he gonna get benched at some point this year because this dude is just not it and he is losing this locker room again when guys are literally wide open and they're clapping straight up putting their hands together not just putting the mailbox open as some wide receiver coaches call it where they raise their hand up to signify that they're open i'm sure you guys have seen that especially on go balls that's very common but when they're sitting in their zone and they are literally clapping at the guy because they are that fucking open, that's how you lose a locker room and that's how dudes get resentful over you. Justin Fields, I as much as I wish I'm wrong, he is not the guy. I am pretty confident in that statement as of now. And it feels like I just have to root against the Panthers and I have to root against my own team because it's like, just embrace the suck. Hopefully go get Caleb Williams, get Marvin Harrison, and hopefully turn this thing around in one offseason because... By the way, I'm rooting against the Panthers, not because I just hate the Panthers, because they have our pick. I'm, I'm assuming most of you guys already know that, and that's why I said that comment. But, I mean, fuck. As, Bears, as a Bears fan, it's tough, dude. Like, this has been really, really rough. This is exactly the opposite of what you wanted to see the past couple weeks. You wanted to see improvements to Justin Fields, and honestly... Not only has he not improved, it, he's almost regressed from past years, which is like, how? How is your processor that slow? How are you not making these types of reads? Because again, there can be some blame shifted towards Luke Getze and the lack of creativity at times, but there are opportunities there that have to be had and we're not getting them. So I'm just, uh, I'm in for another really, really rough year. And I think the Bears are going to be really bad again. And I don't think Justin Fields is it. And I can't believe, I cannot believe there's an episode of me on here saying that we might go 10-7. and 7. That's fucking so dumb of me. I literally said, like, worst case, we go, like, 8-9. and 9. Or, like, 7-10, and 10, I think is what I said. God, I was off some crazy shit that day. Can't believe I said that. Up next, the biggest losers are the Cincinnati Bengals, just as a whole. Um, Joe Burrow, this team, they might be in trouble. You know, they're going to have the opportunity to make a late round push or a late run, excuse me, a late year push is what I meant to say. And that's, you know, why we're targeting guys like Jamar Chase for our fantasy teams. But to re-aggravate this injury after going down 0-2, and I know they started 0-2 last year, so that's really why I wasn't overreacting to this. But it's different when your franchise quarterback has an injury of this caliber. And again, this is a really, really tough division. And this is a really tough AFC in general. It would be very, very beneficial if the Bengals could win their division and be at home for a playoff game. But if, you know, Joe Burrow's not healthy and the Ravens continue to play the way they do and they stay healthy, especially Lamar stays healthy, they might not win this division. And if they don't, you know, they could still make a run, but, you know, their margin for error is much much thinner so i'm a little concerned about the cincinnati Bengals. i need a few more weeks before i fully make up my mind but that calf injury is definitely of concern and again it can have huge implications later down later on down the year even if they are fully healthy later on the year and they look like the old cincinnati Bengals, this might just put them in a hole that they simply cannot get out of or they just you know it's just too little too late and they can't win the division and next thing you know they're going into a wild card game in wherever it is kansas city baltimore 
keep in mind, Lamar Jackson's 5-1 and one against Joe Burrow head-to-head. So, you know Joe Burrow does not want to go into Baltimore week one, face a division, or not week one, week, I guess the wild card weekend, I should say, of the playoffs, and face a, di- a division rival in the Ravens. That's a very, very tough battle to go in there and win. So, I mean, this is a team that they better figure it out, and they better figure it out quick because... Yeah, injuries are going to, that's going to happen. That's going to be a thing. And you just hope that they can stay healthy because if they can, we know how dynamic this team can be. But as of right now, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals have to be one of the biggest losers of week two. And I think there has to be some concern around this team. All right, guys, that's going to be it from this episode. I hope you did enjoy it. There will be another episode on Thursday. If you don't follow me already, be sure to follow me here on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I guess, if you're listening to it on there now. And be sure to go follow my Instagram at Murphy's League. I appreciate each and every single one of y'all. Have a great rest of your night and peace out.